Head to the episode details and follow the link for promotional offers from PRST affiliates like Nike, Reebok, Under Armour, Rogue Fitness, Hylite, Oakley, and several others. As always, thanks for tuning in. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Today, I sit down with Dr. James Onati of The Ohio State University to talk about human performance and injury prevention. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. You can find my content on Instagram and Twitter, where my handle is PRST underscore PT. You can like my Facebook page, Performance Rehabilitation and Strength Training, and you can check out my website, agprst.weebly.com. I hope you enjoy the episode. Performance Rehabilitation and Strength Training Podcast provides a platform for some of sports medicine's most influential individuals to collaborate. Tune in as some of the field's most well-renowned rehabilitation professionals, strength and conditioning coaches, and athletes come together to discuss the integrated world of performance physical therapy and strength and conditioning. Welcome to another episode of the Performance Rehab and Strength Training Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Jett. And today I'm sitting down with Dr. James Onati to talk about performance and injury prevention. Dr. Onati, I truly appreciate your time. Ah, thanks for the invite. This is, uh, this is always fun. Do you mind giving the listeners just a short history about yourself? Uh, I've been a certified athletic trainer since 1994. Did my undergrad at University of Florida. Did my grad school at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Taught high school for a couple of years and then uh, went back for my PhD in human movement science. Uh, specialization in biomechanics and motor learning. Uh, I'm definitely not a, a one thing only kind of person. So uh, I have a background in exercise science, strength coaching. Um, I'm a high school baseball coach. Uh, currently, I'm at uh, the Ohio State University. I think that's how you're supposed to say it. <laughs> uh, been here for 12 years. Uh, I'm now the division director of the athletic training education program and also probably the, the biggest thing I'm a dad of two boys and, and the husband of a great wife. So that's kind of my background. I've been around with different groups, uh, military groups, police force, uh, high school, middle school, college, uh, just a variety of different things. And, and it keeps me interested. Love it. So I guess we'll just kind of start off with workload monitoring, right? And how that really kind of plays a role in regard to like performance injury prevention, because we know that managing volume is such a big such a big part in our role as rehab clinicians and strength coaches and everybody involved in the sports medicine staff. So um, in regard to workload monitoring, you know, what are some things that you've done both with with your research or, you know, things you've seen along your path and then we'll just kind of get rolling and and take it from there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really kind of uh, come a long way. It's very interesting. I mean, you definitely have two different sides, you know, you got your, uh, you know, one side that workload monitoring is so important and it's such a, uh, a highly uh, predictive type of piece and predicting injuries. And you were, we're holding people out. We're, you know, we're doing pitch counts. We're doing, uh, you know, different workouts for different individuals because of their, you know, uh, force profile on a force plate. And then the other side, you know, we're, we're, we're not uh, tracking any of those things. It's uh, more of a, a symptomatic type piece, uh, you know, how you're feeling. You have a, you know, I, I wouldn't really put it as old school, new school, but you definitely have a non-technology kind of group and you have a technology group. I, I, and I kind of sit in the middle. I think it all depends on what kind of groups and what type of individuals you are. You know, some people love to have every 
data point on their sleep monitoring and they love to have every data point about their heart rate variability and all their movements and how many times they, you know, they, they did something and how fast they're doing it. And others don't, don't want to hear that at all. And I think there's a, a sweet spot for everybody. I, I don't believe that every single person has to have the same exact plan, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I'm, I'm sure it depends on the sport, the athlete, the time of the year, acute to chronic workload ratios and, and everything that goes into it. But I'm kind of with you in, in the sense that I'm never too far one way or the other with anything. I kind of like to keep my options open or keep an open mind. And you mentioned pitch counts, right? One of the things when I was working in baseball that it's, it's just, it's a question you can't really answer, but I always wondered like, how can some guys pitch 200 plus innings a year? Some guys, you know, 50 innings and Tommy John or a strain of whatever it may be. And they're kind of on the shelf on and off for a little bit. And I know, again, it depends on the athlete and the velocity and things like that. But what have you seen in your experiences, both as a coach and as, as a clinician, that maybe you can point to why some guys can last and they're more durable as opposed to other guys that just cannot get over the hump with injuries throughout their career? Yeah, I mean, well, number one, it's a complex issue and it requires a complex answer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, every, single diff- every single person who's ever played the game of baseball plays it differently, even though we all have the same rules and the same uh, parameters are behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can get into multi-sport and single sport. You can get into uh, our pitchers aren't as athletic as they used to be. You can get into uh, they're only trained to be one, two inning pitchers. And now, you know, they don't know how to handle a higher workload. We can get into pitch counts and are they really a, a good indicator or not a good indicator, so on and so forth. We can get into screening and biomechanical assessments. I think the biggest thing is every it, – it's very similar to what we say in concussions, right? Uh, concussions like a snowflake, uh, every single one of them is unique. Or, you know, concussion, you know, once you've seen one concussion, you've seen one concussion. I think it, think it's the same thing. We yeah. want to break down all these injuries to like one or two parameters. And I've, I've done this research for years um, and wanted to do the same thing. Like wanted to break it down to one or two or three pieces. But the reality is, is they all go together. Um, pain tolerances are different in individuals. Mm-hmm. What you might deem something warm, I deem hot. Um, you know, think about taste uh, preferences, right? I, I, my, my brother and father can take these super hot, my, my sons can take these super hot things. And you put a little bit of pepper in my uh, whatever, and, and it's super hot for me. So intensity levels, some people is like, this is really, really high intense. And other people like, this is easy. And, you know, obviously body types, and, you know, training in season, off season and strength parameters. And there, there's so many different parts. You know, it's fun to keep looking for them all. But I think r- the reality is we want to kind of take some approaches that are consistent, right? Uh, biomechanical approaches, physiological approaches, you know, psychological approaches, and then the skill demands. But we can't come down to like one number, mm-hmm. one thing. And everybody's going to be unique on those things. Um, I had a really great uh, physician mentor uh, during my PhD time, uh, Dr. Bill Garrett, and he's since passed away. He was a Duke, North Carolina, Duke uh, physician both ways. Yeah. So he was interesting. Yeah. And he always told me, um, if you don't want him to get hurt playing the sport, 
then they shouldn't play the sport. Like it's a fine line mm-hmm. on performance and injury. And some people just, uh, you know, we, we could do everything possible and they still get hurt. Um, I'm not a big believer that you only have so many bullets in the arm and things of that nature, but you know, we're not meant to last. We are animals, right? We, we are decaying, uh, on a regular basis. Um, yeah, we grow for a little while, but then we're trying to hold off on that and try not to lose it. You know, you got one of the best pitchers in the planet, uh, Justin Verlander, just coming back from Tommy John. You know, everybody just went down to see him. And uh, I got to see him in college. I saw him when I was teaching at Old Dominion University. And he was, you know, a skinny, uh, really great arm thrower. And you sit there going, man, how does this kid generate that? You know, so I I don't think there's a, a simple answer to that. And I think every single person's unique. What are some things that jump out to you or, or the research that you've, that you've done and presented and, and worked on, like from a biomechanical perspective that puts somebody more at risk for, for the elbow injury, since it's one of the most common things that I see since I've been working baseball? Yeah, I think uh, one of the big things for us uh, that we've been looking at from parameters is just sustained soreness, right? Mm-hmm. We, we did Mike McNally, who uh, was a former doc student, Dr. McNally now, um, and he works down in, uh, in the Tampa system, uh, Tampa Bay Ray system. Mm-hmm. He did a little project, and I, I, I still think it's a very good project from the perspective of we all know that we have this utopian idea that you're going to pitch, play, throw, without soreness, right? And you want to be on the zero scale of soreness. But the reality is most individuals, and we tracked high school kids, um, are, have to deal with some type of soreness throughout. And so we want to be aware of what, what that fine line is, right? And, and if it's too sore and too much, well, then we start breaking down and we have some adjustments, right? So we have some you know, increased stress at the elbow or the shoulder, so on and so forth. So that's number one, is monitoring sustained soreness. Like how much is it changing? And then number two, you know, I, I really, we, we tried to look at a lot of biomechanical parameters that are kind of utopian in, in nature, right? We want to have the, uh, you know, the 90 degree angle or the, or, or beyond it, right? And we, yeah. we talk about, okay, this is protective and this is not protective. And this creates a, a, a much higher uh, stress on the elbow being out in this position versus inside this position. But the reality is there's a lot of ways that you can make the biomechanical parameters on a computer and simulations uh, look good. And I know there's a lot of biomechanists who are going to argue with me on those pieces, but what other factors are then going in when you go and make this adjustment? So if we make this adjustment and we used to be a guy who used to fly way out and be way, uh, you know, loose on the outside and kind of sling it. And then we make this adjustment. What are the other, other adjustments are we making? Right. So we're a complex adapting system. So if we make this adjustment, do we then make a head adjustment? Do we then make a shoulder and, and trunk adjustment? And now we create more shoulder problems or back problems or a different type of elbow problem. Um, I, I think, Every time we make one adjustment to a biomechanical parameter, the body is going to make a different adjustment that we maybe aren't looking at as, uh, as an issue. So, you know, for me, uh, I'm really right now into uh, really kind of keeping the system a little bit tight. And so I'm not really long in the arm. I'm not really long on the elbow angle. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more, you know, it, it's just a really tighter uh, motion. Uh, you know, most baseball people would say short arming it. And I think I've always been a proponent 
that you throw with your entire body, right? Your legs, yeah. your, your feet. I think foot stability is one of the biggest things that we miss. Like here's two big parts that I think uh, we always forget. The ground is our connector to be able to create, you know, force. Mm -hmm. So why aren't we also training the foot and the toes and the ankle stability, right? Everybody wants to create all this core and hip. Well, we still have to think about what that's in contact with. So we have to create ankle stability and toe strength and foot strength, right? And then don't forget what's the last point of the baseball. And that's our fingers and our grip and our, and really our, you know, digits one, two, three, what are we doing here? And we like to do a lot of gripping stuff, but this isn't how we throw a baseball. This, Mm -hmm. this isn't, this isn't a baseball grip. You know, this is a baseball grip. So what are we doing in this baseball grip with two fingers spread or together or whatever, what are we doing in that space? And so I think those three areas are my kind of highest interest um, ground reaction forces to ground on up has always been an interest for me, the sustained soreness and monitoring that. And then I'm really interested in stability of the foot and the ankle and the, and the lower extremity and stability of the fingers. And I mean, we got to see that this year with a spider attack. So that's a very interesting area for me biomechanically. Yeah. I love that. Couldn't agree more with you. How much perceived soreness is too much? What is that line that you're, that you're dancing on? where a guy can have some soreness and continue to perform versus we need to shut it down. Yeah. And I think each individual is different for me. It's a Delta score. It's a different score. So uh, for our high school kids, we do a zero to 10 scale, seven to 10 is shut it down. Don't do anything. You're, you're seeing some medical person Uh, four to six is let's modify, you know, maybe you don't pitch a bullpen that day. Maybe you're just doing some light, easy throwing. Uh, maybe you're just doing some easy long toss, not really far. Maybe you're an infielder and you're throwing every other throw or you're only uh, you're not throwing with full intensity. Maybe if you're a catcher, you're only throwing uh, you're not throwing down. You're just throwing back to the pitcher or you're putting it in a bucket and not throwing back. So I think everybody's different. One person's three is another person's six. Mm-hmm. So you got to get to know each individual's kind of perceived level. And then when it deviates from there, that's where your red flag kind of comes in that deviation from that individual's perceived norm. You know, there's people who, you know, you've been around them. They could throw every day and their arm feels great every day. And so when you ask them, they're like zero out of 10, zero out of 10, zero out of 10. And then that one day you ask them and they're like, yeah, I'm sore. Uh, You know, one out of 10. It's low for everybody else, but for them, it's a significant piece. And so, you know, I think for pro guys, you got to see, you know, obviously you got to get used to the demands, just like anything, right? If you're a five day guy, you, you know, you're, you're used to that five day or four day and you got your cycle. If you're a reliever, you know, you can do one day or maybe two days in a row and then you have an off day and then you're back and everybody knows when they're kind of coming back on that cycle. Um, you know, different things can give us that right. Velocity, spin rates, um, you know, the batter's always going to tell us, right? If you got good stuff, the batter's not hitting it. If you got bad stuff, the batter's hitting it. So those are going to be different pieces that you're going to see, you know, and I think those are things that we can kind of track a little bit better, you know, throughout their, their activity. And then, you know, the realization is some of these guys, you know, pro guys, they're getting paid, right? So they're kind of walking that fine line uh, between injury and performance. And, you know, they, they know what the risks are. And, uh, you know, I think we can take a little bit uh, better care of our, you know, our, our college guys and our high school guys uh, because they, they're, they're not really – they don't need to be pushed to the same limit. 
except for, you know, when you get that senior who's done playing, he's never going to play again, he doesn't want to play again, he might pitch through some soreness that, you know, no other people will pitch through. And I'm okay with, like, them understanding the ramifications of those things. What are some things you do to manage in season from the recovery side of things and maybe like arm care, um, anything that you've seen or implemented over the years that you, that, that has worked or, or that the athletes have responded well to, especially the pitchers? Yeah, well, we don't, we don't have a whole bunch of, uh, you know, e-stim and monitoring type of things for our high school guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think all those pieces are really good. And I think they're really good from a physiological standpoint and a psychological standpoint, right? You know, when you're putting something on and you're putting a device on and you're feeling the whatever kind of pumping through, it's, it's good, right? You know, we are big on mobility. So we do hip, ankle, T-spine mobility every day. Right. So if those are getting harder because you're getting tighter, you know, I think range of motion is a big piece. If you start, you know, losing range of motion significantly uh, throughout the season, those are red flags. Mm -hmm. If we start losing significant strength, uh, I'm really interested in the arm care. There's an arm care app with a dynamometer and you can get a range of motion, internal, external range of motion. And it's got an IMU and you can do also a grip strength and they do grip strength with uh with the three fingers i i like something along those lines uh i haven't researched that yet but my son who's actually a a high school baseball player uh has been using that with one of his coaches and and he likes that because he gets to see the numbers to see where those kind of go so i think those are some of the ways that we we want to do that but I, i really believe monitoring some type of strength piece we we do a handheld dynamometry piece monitoring some type of range of motion loss on a regular basis uh, throughout the season to see if they're really losing a lot in one area or gaining a lot in one area. Are really, are they really getting too lax in one area? Um, I think that's important. And then we really just focus on our, our mobility on a regular basis, you know, our basic core strength on a regular basis for our guys in season. We, we, you know, we try to get two lifts a week in season and we try to, you know, make sure that we hit some of the major muscle groups of those things uh, when we do those those lifts. What's your timeline for, you know, you have your appearance, like when do you want to get that workout in and start the recovery process? So we start that recovery process right after they do their stuff. So uh, after they pitch, they're going to do some recovery. We, we do, we don't have a lot of guys who do long distance runs. Some do it a little bit. We'll sometimes maybe do an interval run. Uh, an easy jog, an easy sprint, an easy jog, an easy sprint. Usually those are like 30 yard, you know, differentials between those things. Um, we do some high intensity sprint always. Um, so we'll do baseline sprints and we'll kind of split the coach's box as kind of our spot. And we'll just, just do some high speed agility. I really believe that our pitchers need to make sure that they can create force quickly afterwards. And that, that kind of, I think, gets their, their nervous system jolted up a little bit right after. We will go through all our throwing uh, recovery pieces, which is uh, heavy balls. And we're doing, uh, you know, semi-symmetric holds. But we do a lot of eccentric controls um, for our heavy balls. And we're doing some over-the-shoulder grabs and, and some internal external rotation uh, pieces so we do that every time after we throw bullpens in the off season, games in the in season. I'm not a big ice fan. Uh, it's not that I'm against it. If somebody really likes it, but I don't push it and our guys don't go after it. You know, I think that kind of really just slows down the whole system. And I'm, I'm a believer that we need to keep that kind of system and, and then integrate it 
with a little bit more control, but still some intensity to it. So, yeah, we recover right away. It's yeah. right after the game. We'll get our, our running in and our, and our throwing recovery and uh, then go into, you know, if they got some hip uh, issues or they got some, some T-spine issues, we try to get that mobility going. Those, those are, are usually the two that kind of spike up on our guys is the T-spine and get really tight uh, yeah. and their hips really get tight. That's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, sitting on the phone looking down. Yeah, all 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 day. I mean, yeah. that's that's the biggest thing, right? So, I mean, you got to think our high school kids, uh, especially, you know, they're sitting all day and then they're supposed to come out and be ready yeah. at three o'clock for a five o'clock game. And they've been sitting in class for, you know, the past six, seven hours, right? Yeah. That's why, you know, our, our hip mobility, we do, we try to hit that as much as we possibly can. And, and just think about a baseball player, right? Everything's leaning forward everything you know catchers are squatting down and infielders are leaning forward and everything is in this forward 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 so we really push the posterior chain we really push push activation first so i'm a big believer that activation uh you know i'm an i'm an activation stability mobility endurance type of person so activation first and we try to get our glutes active we try to get our you know everything active right our shoulders our core so activation first Stability, mobility, and then really hitting our uh, aspects of endurance. And that's basically what we do for our recovery is the same general concepts that we do in our training pieces too. Whenever I ask you the question about, you know, just really injuries in general, or is there anything you can necessarily hang your hat on? What do you think about like the multi-sport athlete and what it does as a whole for the, you know, tissue development and athleticism in general? Well, I, I laugh and I smile because, uh, you know, there's some great research by some really good people out there that really show, you know, multi-sport, don't specialize, so on and so forth, right? You know, and, and I think there comes an age at that, you know, remember, I work in the high school age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are generally 15-year-olds, but sometimes 14. I think at that point, we, we're at a large school, very good, you know, we're, we're, we're a pretty big school. We got usually, you know, two, three or plus you know, guys going to play college ball at, uh, you know, whatever level. So it's pretty competitive. I'm a believer that athleticism trumps multi-sport. And I'll I'll give you a classic example. So my son is a baseball-only high school kid, but he played flag football, soccer, basketball, uh, obviously baseball growing up. So I believe that there's a good age to be able to do those things in, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, you know, you're, you're doing those things. Obviously at the six, seven, eight, nine, 10, you're, I definitely believe in that, but you can get that from a variety of different ways. So my son just came home from his workout and I said, what did you do? You know, he had some of his lifts and all those types of things um, because we didn't work out as a baseball team today. And, uh, and then he shot hoops and played a little bit of hoops. And he's been playing basketball on a regular basis for the past uh, you know, month, month and a half, even though he's not a basketball player. So technically speaking, he's not going to be a multi-sport kid relative to a high school, but he's going to play as much basketball you know, as he does baseball. He's playing more basketball now than he is baseball. And so I, I believe that you have to promote athleticism in kids, not just pushing multi-sport. Because the kids who have more athleticism have the better opportunities to be able to play multi-sport. So I, I think it's the wrong, for me, it, it's the wrong message. The message should be promote athleticism, get PE back in our high schools and really, really stress it. Let's think about this in our educational model, right? Our educational model is mathematics and problem solving and critical thinking and English and communication. And I think all those things are important, right? 
But at the end of the day, when you're 50, 60, 70 years old, am I really concerned about whether I know the properties of, of a chemical property? Or am I really concerned about an algebraic formula? Or am I more concerned about my mental health, my physical health, right? My yeah. financial yeah. health? Well, I would guarantee it's going to be the health pieces that are going to drive it. Yet we have this stigma of, well, those aren't the important educational processes from K to 12. I think they're the most important processes from K to 12. So that's my, my rant on athleticism and multi-sport. Like I think the kid should be a kid. What I do is movement-based, and I'm trying to go back to being a kid. Run, jump, push, pull, and that's just how we're designed to move. Roll. So, we do a lot of animal yeah. movements in our things just because we put a name to them. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll do alligator crawls. We'll do bear mm-hmm. crawls. We'll do sloth crawls, which is basically a bear crawl slow. Um, we'll do, uh, you know, kangaroo walks. We'll do, uh, you know, walking up the wall. So a Spider-Man kind of thing. We'll do uh, cartwheels and round offs. Like I remember being a kid doing cartwheel. Now I try to do a cartwheel. And it's like, Oh my God, it's terrible. I haven't done this in so long. Yeah. And I, and I feel terrible that I've lost it. So we don't, I don't want our kids to lose that. You know, so those are the things that I, I really believe that we need to have more of uh, and more emphasis on. And, and again, I know people kind of look at it as the, the PE health model and whatever connotation you have on that. But Man, that's that's the lifelong piece that's always going to be with us. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't I'm not going to get political on which thing and which vaccine and all that stuff. But I do think right now people are understanding like the choices that we make, you know, with our bodies and our minds are really important. So why aren't we teaching that every day, all the time? I had the closest connection with my phys ed teacher, and again, that's probably just me because I had an interest in that anyway. But that's the only thing I use day after day after day after day that I really took from my curriculum whenever I was that age, you know, middle school, high school age. So, and, um, and I think it's easy for those of us who gravitate towards it, right? Yeah. You're pretty good at it and all those yeah. things. But your special teachers are the ones who really can get the people who don't gravitate towards it and can get them to understand the benefits of it. And, you know, so I have a younger son who's 17 and an older son who's 19. And my younger son, you know, Hand, hand, eye, ball skills are, are outstanding. Like he's really, really good at, at those things. He's, uh, you know, a really good infielder defender. Um, you know, so he could do a lot with ball skills, right? His hand, eye coordination is really, really good. And my older son's hand, eye coordinations weren't really that great. And, you know, so he was uh, decent at soccer, but, you know, he didn't have really light touch and, and ball skills, but he was fast. And so he started realizing in seventh grade, eighth grade, like, hey, he can kick the ball and just go get it. He doesn't have to keep it on his foot because he's going to go get it, you know, you know, when he's in a one-on-one situation. Well, that turns out into be a, you know, a 200 and 400 meter sprinter in high school. And he set our school record in 200 meters, but he's also a very unique athlete in that he only sprinted in the spring and he ran cross country in the fall. Like there's not a lot of cross country, 200 meter runners. You know, and I told him, like, you know, you're, you're sacrificing the ability to really, really run fast 200 to train half the year long distance. And he's like, I enjoy it. I like my coach. I like my teammates. And I'm like, fine. You know, so he, he's got some unique capabilities. So I think we got to gravitate our fitness pieces to different levels and different interests. Right. You know, I think a lot of times people, you know, they shy away everybody. This is human nature. You shy away from what you're not good at. Yep. What we have to do as clinicians is find out what 
they are interested in and how can we create those things for doing things that they are good at? You know, so like, can we create uh, the musically inclined individual and can we create more movement by adding, you know, really higher tempo and, and high intensity interval training within band practice? We'll take the, uh, the art and the drama performer and can we create some more physical activity in those things? Like, you know, I guarantee you every dancer who ever listens to this podcast will tell you like, yeah, our workouts are really, really tough. And, and I understand that. So you, we can't just take the physical activity piece to just CrossFit, baseball, football, basketball, soccer, lacrosse, whatever. We have to think about it across a variety of different parameters and meet people where their interest is, not the other way around. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. We were talking about like arm care and just recovery, the recovery piece. And you mentioned you track range of motion, strength, and, and things like that throughout the season. But is there any type of specific technology you use that helps you kind of track those things? I want to give a quick shout out to my sponsors, Muscle Up Protein Bars and Gym Aware Training Equipment. Head to the show details and follow the links to receive your discount on all Muscle Up and Gym Aware products. As always, thanks for listening. Yeah, so our high school guys, we don't do much there. Um, we do uh, a lot more on the uh, subjective side than the objective side, just from time standpoint. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've messed around a little bit with different force plates, force decks, uh, you know, Sparta force plates, so on and so forth. You know, I think they have some, some use. I think there's uh, some different parameters. We're getting ready to look at some more data along those lines uh, for our stuff. Uh, I really am, am starting to really be interested in our pitcher's uh, finger unique finger dynamometry. So not just grip strength, not just a straight JMR, you know, full handle. We've been doing that for a little while, but now starting to actually look at uh, differential finger pieces and looking at that strength. So that's one of the things that we're going to start looking at from a uh, technology standpoint. I've never been a big aura ring or whoop or, you know, Fitbit type of person. I think that kind of works for some people. That's never been my interest on those aspects. So I, I kind of keep the technology, especially for our high school guys at the lower level instead of the higher level. I know this is kind of a, you know, it's a topic of discussion and there's a lot of articles I've read on it, but I want to get your input because this is what you specialize in. Weighted balls, like weighted ball programs. How do you feel about the programs? When do you think they should be implemented with, with pitchers as far as where they are in their career? And have you really done any research on it uh, yourself? I mean, obviously, I've read the research and looked at a variety of different things. Mm -hmm. uh, I have been a proponent of so weighted balls versus, you know, plyo balls, med balls are two different things. Right. So for me, the weighted ball is a, an actual baseball. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a five ounce is a is a normal baseball and a six ounce, a seven ounce and then, a you know, an underload four ounce, three ounce. So for me. Obviously, we start with throwing a regular baseball, so five ounces first. Mm -hmm. And then we move to a heavier ball, a six ounce, and I only go up one ounce on those things. And we want to create the strength foundation first on those pieces. So we, we do use heavy balls, and we do have uh, individualized programs, and we also have generalized programs. And what I mean by that is, you know, if a kid's coming off of an uh, elbow injury or a shoulder injury, we, those are individualized programs. We don't let them do everything else. But if it's not, then we'll do a generalized, uh, you know, team program. Our pitchers, we keep a little closer eye on just because they do so much, uh, you know, individualized work. And that's pretty much all they do. Sometimes they can get a little excited and do a lot, 
a lot more than they need to. Then once we create a good recovery from regular five ounce, then we transition phase into six ounce. Only then are we able to, for me, comfortably get in into four ounce. But you got to demonstrate that you can handle regular ball before we move up to heavy ball. And then you got to be able to handle heavy ball if we ever put you to, to underload. Because the underload deceleration pieces is where I'm most concerned from a biomechanical perspective. So some kids never in our four years move into a, uh, an underload, a lightweighted ball. They just never have done enough work on their scapula motion. They've never done enough work in a weight room. They've never done enough kind of coordination pieces. And, and to be honest, they're just not ready to ever throw that. And they get in trouble from a body movement standpoint when everything gets going really fast. They don't have enough eccentric control. They don't have enough core strength to be able to kind of control it. And they get, uh, they, they get pretty sore pretty quick when they, when they think they can and, and we back them off. So I'm a big believer in that. I think some unique individuals can really kind of take it to the next level, moving up a couple ounces higher, a couple ounces lower. I think it's a continual monitoring system. I think when you do it, you know, it's, easy to, it's easier to do one-on-one, one-on-two kind of patient pieces. I think it's much harder to go to your wider parameters when you have one on 50 or, you know, two coaches for 50 guys or three coaches for 50 guys. Yeah. I think that's where you kind of run into problems. I think it's kind of like what you've mentioned really with everything we've been talking about. So individualized, there's so many different things that go into it. Velocity is the name of the game. That's like the biggest risk factor for Tommy John right there. Anyways. Right. But we want guys pumping 98. Now it's, it's crazy how some of these high school kids are like throwing 101 miles an hour. It's, I mean, it's, uh, it, it is amazing seeing some of these things and some of these numbers pop up. But I do think, I think there's individual pieces. I, I, de- I definitely think just like everything else, there are definite ways. We know that there is ways to increase velocity. We, we know that. That's, mm-hmm. it's, it's proven. We're seeing it. Um, and I know everybody wants to talk about the hot guns and the new guns and all those types of things. But kids are throwing harder. Um, yeah. That, you know, that's a, a no doubter. But just like every lifting program or every exercise, like if you've ever done anything, ACL rehabilitation, yeah, there's parameters, but everybody adjusts. And there's some u- unique things. If you're doing, you know, a, a, a strengthening program, there's always something that adjusts. Every power lifter has some basics, and then there's some unique adjustments. Every bodybuilder has some basics, and then there's unique adjustments. I don't think weighted balls are any different. You know, you're talking about moving an implement. You're talking about doing a, uh, a a movement task. And some people are going to respond well. Some people are going to get hurt. Some people are not going to respond at all. And so you have to look at what responds to each individual. You know, some people respond quickly because of a movement technique that they have to do because of the weighted ball, right? So they have to be able to do something to be able to control that weighted ball. And maybe that allows them to put more foot, you know, force into the ground so that they can move that ball. You know, I I definitely think it's not just the weight of the ball that's making the effect. It's also the effect that they are uh, really trying to prepare for moving something weighted. And then they, they start getting some slight different feels, right? So we throw footballs and things of that nature. You know, we, you know, you can go back and we've been throwing objects all our lives, right? You, you throw rocks and you, you throw stuff at each other. You throw these light dodgeballs and all that stuff. Um, you know, you can go back to cavemen throwing spears and sticks and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I think it's, it's a unique piece 
I definitely think there's parameters. Our parameter is be okay throwing a baseball first before we, we load you. And if we do load you, we're going to load you up in one ounce increment first. If you can handle that while still also throwing a baseball, then we'll underload you and throw a four ounce fast, but not everybody gets to that point. And so yeah. that's kind of where we're at. But again, individuals like my son's on the throwing program with a, with one of his uh, travel coaches and uh, you know, he, he's feeling really good because he was just throwing a, a four ouncer 92 and 94 and you know he, he's never touched 90 before so he's all pumped and then he goes and gets sick for the week I'm like hey you got throwing tomorrow you better back off you haven't been throwing so you know I tell his coach I text his coach I'm like he's been sick all week he hasn't been working out let's not get right back into it so I think there's unique individuals and then there's unique parts that we need to monitor and you can't just keep on just pounding 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 how long is each phase for your program? Like you have the normal ball, then the weighted ball, then the underweighted? So our off-season stuff is for those things. We really kind of do everything in a three-week kind of cluster. Okay. Um, and when we do those three-week clusters, we also match up our lifting clusters to that, right? Yeah. So we're not going to introduce something brand new to the throwing arm um, while we're also introducing something brand new or really heavy into the lifting. Mm-hmm. So I won't introduce a whole bunch of heavy – uh, heavy ball throwing transition while we're also introducing and doing some type of heavy or, or high speed, you know, weight room activity, right? So we're not going to do our trap bar deadlift maxes the same time that I introduce, you know, heavy ball throwing Yes, because, you know, yeah, the, the trap bar is a leg component, right? And the throwing is not, but in reality, the trap bar is gripped with our hands and we're lifting it and the throw has our leg component in it. So if our legs are just beat, why am I going to throw an, uh, an implement? So I do everything in a three-week kind of phase um, and work backwards from where we need to be. So, you know, we know that we start the third week of February. And we know when we start our bullpens, we usually start our try-to-face batter bullpens um, somewhere at the end of January or mid-January. So we kind of work backwards off of those things. You know, we're in a long toss phase with some plyo ball stuff, not necessarily a tremendous amount of heavy ball stuff, except or weighted balls, except for our pitchers. Our our regular throwers are really in a, uh, our position players are really in a deload phase and they're not doing half as much throwing, but their lifting is, is much higher. And then before the athlete transitions to that underweighted ball, like what do they have to show you maybe from an objective standpoint? Or objective or subjective, like what do they have to show you before they earn the right to throw that underweighted ball? They got to be able to go through their phase um, of that. And we, we lay these things out. So I try to, you know, do three phase, three week phases, but they got to be able to sustain uh, two weeks of that without their soreness going through into what I call a four or above category. And so they got to be, and then they have to be able to come down in that soreness the next time they throw. So if somebody comes in, um, and throws and they're they're at a four well then they're not throwing that that they're not throwing that day because we're modifying it but if they come in at a three and then we don't throw the next day and then we go throw again so we we off throw uh every other day mm-hmm. and we basically throw three times a week um if they come in so we throw on a monday if they you know then they're sore on a tuesday i expect them to be sore two or three depends on the individual and then on Wednesday, if they come back and their soreness is the same or it's gone higher, we reduce and we say, I don't want you to advance into the next level. Gotcha. Let's just throw a little bit regular baseball. We're not going to throw the six ounce. 
and we're going to go from there. So that's kind of where we're modifying in a large group setting, individual stuff. And so then the kids start realizing it and they start self-regulating themselves. Now, every once in a while, you got some kids who, who just, you know, they want to prove themselves or they just, they don't realize it. But, you know, it was interesting. We had a, uh, one of our young catchers uh, who's coming off of a summer of some Olecranon uh, soreness, you know, he had a, a Olecranon stress fracture and he was, and so he started kind of coming back and throwing and he tried to keep up with all the pitchers. And so his soreness kept on going higher and higher and higher. And his friends were telling him, look, you got to read the board. You're at a five today. You're not supposed to be throwing. And I'm listening to this conversation mm-hmm. before the kid's walking out and he's not listening to him, but the other kids are trying to get him. And then I go, you know, come here. Where are you at today? I'm at a five. What does it say to go at a five to limit your throwing, to reduce and modify your throwing? I was like, so what are you going to do? Well, I'm not going to throw the six ouncer today. Okay. I'm not going to do plyo balls today. Okay. So what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to just do some easy light tossing, probably 30 to 45 feet away. Okay. Then come back in and check with me and see what, how that feels after comes back in. He goes, yeah, my elbow just got more progressively sore. I was like, did you stop? He goes, yes, I did. I just caught. And then I handed it off to my teammate. I was like, perfect. So now what's your next step? Uh, He looks at me. I was like, well, your next step is that you got more sore, even though your load went down. So now it's time to go see a medical provider, right? So he went to see our athletic trainer. We shut him down for a week. We rehabbed him. And now he's back in throwing regular baseball. And he tells me yesterday, hey, my throw yesterday felt really good. He goes, I haven't felt good in a while. I was like, that's the whole point. And so, you know, we don't need to be back into an elbow brace. Like pushing, pushing, pushing is not what we need for you. Right now we need to, you know, time kids don't realize how much two phases, right? I don't think people realize it. You're either a hard charger and you don't realize what recovery does for you, or you're a low charger and you don't realize what high intensity does for you. And so those low chargers need to be taught, you know, the limits higher, you can push it higher. And those hard charges need to go. Recovery can be active. There are things you can do, but you can't go hard every day i have that battle every day like you have to stop something like don't stop everything just pick one thing in your day that you're doing and even back off the volume a little bit it's like it's my basketball guys like i get shots up at 6 a.m then i go to class all day practice and then i gotta lift and then i gotta go get more shots up i'm like dude you gotta sleep is what you have to do yeah it's because they see all their social media videos and exactly. they see all the people posting that th- i got a thousand shots before 6 a.m and you know I'm, I'm rising at 428 but they also you know if you're gonna if you're gonna show your watch of waking up at 423 right i want to see what time you're going to bed too so if you're going to bed at 423 i'm hoping you're going you're, or you're waking up at 423 a.m i'm hoping you're going to bed at nine eight yeah right yeah. And kids don't see that. They see the watch, 423, I got to go get all my stuff. I get, yeah, but what time did they go to bed? Uh, there's a study that just came out. I haven't read it. I literally just looked at it, the title. And essentially, it was just talking about this kind of sweet spot of sleep. I say this all the time, the Goldilocks phenomenon. So too little sleep, four, five hours or less. Too much sleep, 10 hours or more are really our, our predictors of where we're kind of going. So trying to be in that sweet spot. Now, everybody's got, you know, you might be, a, you know, six hours and you're good to go. Uh, I've gotten older. So for me, you know, 
some days seven, eight is good to go. And, and other days I'm just exhausted really early and, uh, you know, I need nine. And I know that's kind of opposite of what people say, because you, the younger you are, you're supposed to need more sleep. But my body kind of tells me what I need on a regular basis. Yeah. And I try to listen to it. So, yeah, the hard chargers is, you know, you, you're dealing with them. I'm dealing with them. I think outside of the sports world, you're usually dealing with the low chargers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd rather deal with the high chargers. I'd like to finish up just with some X's and O's of strength and conditioning. Nothing too intensive here, just to kind of get an idea of, of how you um, how you program. In-season versus out-of-season, obviously, it's going to be different. But what are just some, you know, some generalized programming templates you like to use? Certain maybe like potentiation clusters in-season yeah, we're, we're pretty basic. Uh, you know, I'm a hip hinge push, you yeah. know, uh, pull kind of guy, you know, core stability. Uh, we do a lot in season uh, anti-rotation pieces. They're getting tons of rotation while playing. In season, we don't do any agility. They're getting all their agility yeah. on the baseball field. In season, we're getting a lot of running. They run the bases. They do all that stuff. So we don't really do a tremendous amount of those things. We do a lot of mobility and soft tissue work in season. And then uh, we try to get, you know, large multi-joint movements in season. I'm a big trap bar deadlift guy. Uh, I'm not a big back squat person. I, I just, I feel like I get enough. We do a high, high bar, high technique, uh, squat technique for our trap bar. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Um, I really also like it from a grip strength standpoint. So we used to do a lot of periodization where we'd have a hypertrophy phase and then we'd have a pure power phase and then we'd have a pure, you know, skill development phase and those types of things. And I really, really have gone more into uh, just an intermixed kind of an undulated type of piece. We do in our off season, Mondays are really our sprinting agility, uh, high central nervous system kind of day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Monday comes off of the weekend for most of us, uh, our things and, we also do a motivational Monday. So our, our coach does a lot of mental training with our kids. So our head coach does a really, really nice job with that. So then we're out in our facility. We have a baseball facility. So we get a lot of quick burst type stuff there. Okay. Tuesdays are our primary lifts. So we primary lift Tuesdays and Thursdays as our kind of main, main body lifts. And we really cycle through like right now we're in a heavy phase. I keep some of our phases very simple. So we lay out uh, heavy, medium, light, explosive, heavy, explosive, light. So we have a five list category of how we have to do it. And then we set our percentages to that. So heavy is at a 90%. Uh, and these are all laid out on the board for them. So they can come in, walk in and see it. So heavy is at a 90%, medium is at a 75%, lights at a 60%, explosive heavy is at a 45%, and explosive lights at a uh, 20% or sorry, a 25% of all their rep maxes, right? Mm-hmm. And so then we, we you know, set our sets up off of that, right? So obviously when we're heavy, we're doing a lighter number of reps and, and, uh, and, and not as much volume from a set standpoint and those types of things. I'm a big believer that we have to give kids choices. Yeah. Um, we do, you know, weighted carry choice. We do core choice. We do anti-rotation choice. We do uh, single limb Uh, choices. We do landmine choices. Uh, We have primary lifts that we have to have done and we do them at some level. So our five primary lifts are a trap bar deadlift, a bench press, uh, an RFE Bulgarian split squat, a row, and then a goblet squat. But we don't do all those. So if we have a heavy day for bench, then we may go a light day for trap bar deadlift, an explosive 
uh, light day for goblet squat. And then I'll reduce the amount of reps that we have for that. Uh, you know, all depending on how much running we did that week and so on and so forth. So that's kind of our, our schedule pieces. You know, we have things that are constantly interrupting it. Like our girls volleyball team just made States. So they were in the final four today. Uh, oh, they yeah. played at two o'clock and all, all our baseball team was down there watching them play. So we didn't have a lift today. So now today was supposed to be a heavy day and get started. So now we have to adjust to do tomorrow as a heavy day. So, you know, everything is constant adjustment. I used to write it out and lay it all out and have my macro and micro cycles oh, yeah. on all those things. And we used to normalize everything to body weight. And I would do everything normalized to body weight. Now, all the, and it just like, you know, I don't know how many times I show up to the weight room. I'm like, oh, we're not lifting today or half the team's not there because they're in an ACT or something. And I'm like, all right, here's what we're going to do. And, and, and it seems to have worked. Like we're, we're not trying to, we don't set weight room records. We don't, uh, yeah. we don't really monitor those uh, types of things, but we do compete. So we're in a, a month long iron Patriot games competition. We just kicked it off with a 5k and then we'll, we'll end with uh, what we'll have different categories in there. Bench press, you know, deadlift, triple jump, uh, all these different yeah. activities. Our motto for our baseball program is to make uh, athletes. I want big cats that move fast. Yeah, I love it. It's like the Omaha Challenge almost having a different. Yeah, category. yeah, we 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 don't do it that way. Uh, we we do it slightly different. It's not just about burning them out. It's yeah. not just, you know we'll do flying tens and we'll take you know our best and we rank them and all those things. Yeah. But it's not just a. It's not just a beat them up or just a team kind of competition. We also have individual competitions and all. It's like baseball, right? It's a yeah. team competition. You gotta you gotta win at the end. But every single play is an individual competition. Yep. Right? There's only one batter at the plate. There's only one guy with the ball on the mound. When the ball's hit to you, there's only one person catching it and then either throwing it. So so we do a lot of team stuff within and individual stuff together. And then I put them under pressure of different things. Like we'll do a three-point shooting, uh, two minutes, how many can you make? These are baseball kids. Not all of them shoot that well. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Athleticism, right? Right. And and just handling tough situations. So, you know, again, from a programming standpoint, we keep it really basic. I know that's where you kind of started, but I I really try to introduce some different athleticism competition and then the traditional hip hinge, you know, hinge, push, press, pull, you know, pull ups, body weight stuff, things of that nature. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm the same. You know, the deeper I get into it, the simpler I get. And I was the same exact way when I was coming out of school. I had all this just programs and this and that. Everything was perfect. I had a 12-week program just like – and then it rains <laughs> or, or whatever, right. like you mentioned. Just pick it. And I've learned just, yeah, it's, it's a game of adjustment, just like baseball itself, adjustments all the yeah. time. You know, we follow some – you know, we do some – you know, we move into some triphasic stuff from Cal yeah. pieces. And we, we do a little bit of sampling of a variety of different things. What I'm really trying to do is get them a foundation to be able to, number one, be successful in high school baseball, but more so be successful in their lifetime fitness, right? So we have different people that, you know, gravitate to these different things, and I want to create balance in their life. But, you know, again, I used to, man, when I started this, I've been with this school for about 10 years doing baseball. I was I mean, we did every assessment. We did FMS. We had 3D. We had, you know, motion capture with them. We did everything like 
it was almost like we had big bins and you were in this group or this group or this group. And we had all these, you know, data points, normalization stuff and all. And, and I just kind of just stepped back and I'm like, man, I'm not enjoying what I'm, what I'm doing. And I don't think they are either. And once I started giving them choices and giving them uh, and empowering them, wow, their commitment levels went through the roof. And, uh, you know, they, they have enjoyed the lifts, uh, even though, you know, it's always tough when you're in it. I love it. Dr. Onai, this was an absolutely um, awesome conversation. I truly appreciate your time. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off here? No, you know, probably my biggest thing is, uh, you know, as clinicians and as coaches and as all these things, let's not forget the, you know, the key pieces to all recovery, right? You know, it's it's communication, it's mental health, it's sleep, it's nutrition, right? And I'm a big believer that we have to grow people. And if we always grow people, not programs, then we'll be really good. And it, and we have to look at individuals and we have to we have to really listen and we have to really uh, be there for our patients, be there for our, our players, our clients, you know, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and when we ask them how you're doing, we, we really got to ask that question. We, mm-hmm. we really got to know how are you doing and listen. And, and, you know, I've been trying to work on that. I, I haven't been always the, the greatest listener. The, my, my two biggest uh, problems are listening and humility. And so I think we as clinicians who want to do really good things, we got to be humble listeners. And the biggest thing is, is doing those parts. Um, and I think we'll make a, a really good impact on the folks that, you know, that we deal with. I love it. Again, I truly appreciate your time and, um, and I look forward to following all your research. Yeah, this was a blast. Let me know, uh, you know, let me know any details. And I, I love doing this stuff. I could do this all night. So all right, all right, Doc, appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. Thanks, bud. Take care. Podcasting is gaining more traction each day, and the beauty is anyone can do it, and it will cost you next to nothing to start your own show. I've gotten the opportunity to speak with individuals around the world that share my same passion for sports performance, and I've been able to share my message globally. Without my show, none of those opportunities are possible. Buzzsprout is the hosting website I use to launch my show. With Buzzsprout, you'll get a website that you can link your social media accounts to to promote your episodes. You can track your show's stats. They list your show in all major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And most importantly for me, is anytime I've had an issue or simply needed help figuring something out on their site, I reached out to them and they've always gotten back to me that same day to help me resolve the issue. So if you're thinking about starting your own show, I highly recommend using Buzzsprout as your hosting website. If you'd like to learn more, follow the link in the show details or reach out to me directly and I'd be happy to help. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the PRST Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast a follow and leave a review. You can also find my content on Instagram and Twitter where my handle is PRST underscore PT. And you can also check out my website, agprst.weebly.com. Thanks for tuning in.